Welcome to the Cornerstones of Healthy Food Systems, sharing reflections on the environmental, agricultural, social, and nutritional factors that form the foundation of healthy food systems and healthy economies. Now your host, Dr. Mary Lucero. Hello. Last week I told you we were going to be talking here in Episode 5 to Monica Kekueva. And unfortunately, her mother has just had a stroke. Monica is going to reschedule with us for a later date. And I'm asking all among you who are so inclined to please send your prayers to Monica, her mother Gloria, and the rest of the family. In the meantime, I've asked my closest business partner to come and join us today. David Lucero brings a strong background, not only in production agriculture, but also in working with agricultural businesses, large and small, local and global. So with that, David, thank you for joining me. Well, thanks for having me as a part of your podcast. So glad to be here. David, can you tell us just a little bit about some of your work experience? Well, I I grew up on a ranch. My parents had a cow-calf operation, and along with that, we also had a fruit orchard. And so I did grow up in production agriculture. I went to the university and got my degree and always thought at some point in time that I would uh, go back to the ranch and be a part of that. And so, David, you and I met while you were in college. You were pursuing a degree in agricultural business. And I remember on our first meetings, you weren't real excited about the prospects of working in agriculture. What was going on at that time that made it challenging? Agriculture was tough back then. Interest rates were ridiculously high. We were looking at 16% interest and really made it difficult to get started in agriculture. Um, It was just a, a really hard time to make things work. Land was expensive, inputs were expensive, interest was expensive. You really had to have a lot of things working for you in order to get into production agriculture. And that was probably one of the reasons why I chose not to go back to the ranch because I knew we had to expand for me to be able to support myself and my family at some point in time. And while the ranch was in in a pretty good financial condition, I didn't want to jeopardize that situation for my parents. I knew they were starting to get up in years and retirement was kind of on the back of their minds and and I didn't want to jeopardize them having to risk any of that in order to get me into their program, so to speak. And of course, both the family ranch and the apple orchard were still in full production. What were some of the challenges that your father was dealing with? Well, it was different back then. You know, selling, in my opinion, was quite a bit easier because there were a lot of independent retail stores out there, and that was one of our main markets. We would sell to a lot of small grocery stores out in the region. Um, Interestingly enough, we, we didn't even have a telephone to do business with. There were no phone lines up to the ranch, and so really the way my dad would do it was we would put a few bushels of apples in the back of our pickup and we would drive to the retail stores that we were doing business with and my dad would show them the fruit. He'd say, this is what we're going to have. This is the quality that we have and this is what I can uh, sell to you for the coming year. And really just based on him showing those apples or those pears or those peaches and 
he'd strike a deal and it was all on a handshake and and they would you know order for the next week that say you know this week we're going to need x number of bushels and so that following week we would deliver those those bushels and they'd place the order for the next week and now how is that different today well of course everything is on contract now and uh, the scale is much bigger. I mean, what changed for us back then was a lot of these small retail stores were trying to increase their buying power, not just for produce, but for meats and for other store items. And the way they could do that was buying in larger quantities. And so they started forming co-ops, so to speak, that gave them the ability to buy larger quantities at a cheaper price. And how would that affect somebody like your father? And that that was a, became a problem for us. We we were able to supply, you know, three and four and five hundred bushels a week because that's how many apples were coming off the orchard for you know for a ten week period. What would happen though is when we go to these retail stores, they'd say, "Well, you need to go to the co-op and sell to the co-op so that we can order through them." We'd go to the co-op and they'd say, well, you know, you need to supply us a thousand bushels or 1,200 bushels or 2,000 bushels at a time. And we just didn't have that kind of production. So it basically kind of took us out of that market. So the story becomes go big or go home. Exactly. So we basically went home. (laughs) And I remember us talking about these things. We were both students in agriculture as all this was happening. We were watching farms fold all over the country. And I think at the time we saw the tragedy that the farmers were going through, but maybe we didn't really see so much about how that tragedy was impacting those of us who were not on the farm. In hindsight today, David, how do you see the losses that affect society as a whole? First of all, is it just small farms that have gone out of business this way, or how have other small businesses been impacted with this kind of consolidation? One business always affects another. What it, what has happened is, is, especially in agriculture, is as there's fewer and fewer people that are directly involved in production agriculture, that means that there's more and more people who are more removed from agriculture. I mean, they they think it's very easy to go to the grocery store and buy what you need and and, and bring it home to your family. What they don't understand is what it takes to get product into a retail store. And there's a lot of work involved. There's food safety, there's there's logistics of transportation, there's logistics of product harvested, there's logistics of packing. There's there's a lot of it involved in, in, in getting products to a store. How has food safety itself changed? It's changed a lot. I mean, I think... You know, even back when I was young and my, my parents were, you know, producing and, and we were running apples and fruit through our grading shed, I mean, safety was always important to us. We, you know, the last thing any farmer or rancher wants to do is get someone sick. And so you're always trying to do the best that you can. I mean, the, I keep think, clean equipment, keep you, a clean environment. Exactly. Look for damage on the fruit. I, I think what's happened nowadays is, you know, you've, they've, there's, the government has gotten involved and implemented a lot of food safety requirements, but 
you know, it's it's a one size fits all type thing. And people that are, are not have not experienced production agriculture and harvesting and things like that become the decision makers. So they theorize a lot of things without even knowing how something actually works. And and you know, hum, it, nature is nature. There's going to be environmental conditions and issues that come up that do affect. But you know, they, they've given less autonomy to the farmer to make decisions to harvest the best way possible and process the best way possible their own products. 30, even 20 years ago, you didn't see so many nationwide outbreaks of salmonella or large-scale problems tied into agriculture. And some of this, no doubt, is because everything is consolidated now. We're buying through middlemen and through a centralized option, and things are affecting more people in a bigger way when there are problems. But what steps has the industry taken to manage some of this? Well, I, I think it even goes back a little bit further. It's really not what the industry is doing, but really what the consumer's wanting. I mean, the consumer's what is what drives the buying power of, of what a retailer puts in their stores. Well, that's and, such a good point because so many consumers now want everything ready to eat. And when you take a head of lettuce and chop it up in little pieces and mix it into a salad... All you're doing is exposing a lot of surface area where a lot of microorganisms can propagate on that lettuce. That that becomes a problem, but then on the good side is is you're seeing consumers that are starting to pay more attention to the locally grown and they're going into their retail stores and saying, "Why do we have to get apples from 2,000 miles away when we have apples that are being grown in our own region or our own state. And in the end, I think this is what's going to change the market, right? Every market is consumer-driven. We went to this big food model and this consolidated model because everybody was looking at price, 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 and you can take advantage of the economy of scale when you go big. I think today we're seeing that we've lost a lot in that process, and to some extent you get what you pay for. And there is. There's a place for that. I mean, I think we do got a lot of people in this world that need to be fed, and I think there's a place for that. But there's also a place for the small producer. I think some of the retailers are starting to listen to that. And people are now able to go into their local grocery store and find sections where some of their local produce or locally produced items are being sold. When I retired from the State Department of Agriculture and we chose to come build our own small farm, that was really one of the driving factors for me to want to do this is because I knew that it would be easier for us to find markets for our products. Right. It's really kind of an exciting time to start small farms because the consumer demand is there in a way that it's never been before. What has struck me as we've stepped down this trail, you move to a small town, you drive down the road, and there's a lot of businesses boarded up and gone. And I think I was already well aware of the fact that we need this local economy in order to support local farms. But we've lost more than our local farms. We've lost our other small businesses in the process. And and so as we've watched small businesses struggle, 
I've realized that we've got to expand our whole food system model to make sure we've got room for small businesses. Absolutely, and, and we've tried to do that. We've tried to follow our own model and support all of the local businesses, and and they in turn are very curious to see what we're doing, and they're excited about what we're doing, and they know that we are going to generate income and, and grow the economy here in our town. And in the meantime, we've been fortunate enough to stumble into some affiliates that I think are offering some really great tools for small business. And David's kind of taking the lead on the outreach and goes with this. Uh, David, can you tell us a little bit about the consumer financing and merchant services that you can offer? Absolutely. So we joined up with a company that offers, provides a lot of services that help small businesses. One of the services that they offer is a credit card service where a lot of people don't realize that when they use their credit card, there are fees that are associated with them using the credit card. And a lot of business owners will be charged anywhere from 25 to 4% for using that credit card service. So if I go into the local clothing store and I buy a blouse and I put it on my credit card, then the business owner is actually going to have to pay some of that money to the credit card company. Yes, they're paying an additional 25 to 4% for the use of the credit card service. The company we work with will offer an opportunity to save money on the credit card charges. What this service will do is it, it gives the business owner options. They can either choose to pay that credit card fee or they can share in that credit card fee with their customers. You can also offer consumer financing. How does that work? Right. This, this is a great opportunity for small businesses. We'll use a tire store for an example. A lot of times they'll have folks come in that desperately need tires for their vehicle. And if they don't offer a consumer financing, um, this, this company will. Um, you know, for a farm pickup, it's not uncommon to have to spend three to four hundred dollars for a tire. It's easy to rack up a fifteen or sixteen hundred dollar bill just buying tires. Well, you know, it's it's a lot of burden to put on a tire store, especially a small company, and saying, "Hey, can you finance my tires?" Well, if you do that eight or ten times in a month you can rack up several thousand dollars being owed to you. This program allows them to use banks that will finance for them and means the tire store gets their money right away and the consumer gets their tires and they work out a payment program with a bank that, that, that uh, has been selected through this program. And, of course, the power is still in the hands of the consumer because they pick the option, they pick the terms, yet it can help the small business owner generate sales that might have otherwise gone elsewhere. Absolutely. Or the consumer might have just had to do without. Exactly. So, David, these are just a few of the services that we can offer. Can you tell the listeners how to get in touch with you? Absolutely. I think it's a great program, and I'd love to hear from you. If you're interested in learning more about it, you can contact us at 
endophyte.com. Once you get into the our website, go to the marketplace. Once you're in marketplace, you can go to services. If you don't want to do that and you want to email me directly, you can email me at endophyte.com. That's david at endophyte.com. Exactly. Well, David, thank you so much. It was really fun having you on the podcast today. I encourage our listeners to go to the website, take a look at our marketplace, not only for the small business services, but for the whole range of affiliate products we offer. And for our next episode, we're going to be talking about how to read soil tests because that may be the most frequent question I get from growers who are using laboratory tests to guide their farm or garden soil management. Please join me then. You have been listening to the Cornerstones of Healthy Food Systems podcast. This podcast is produced by Endophyte Enterprises, LLC. You can subscribe to our podcast at endophyte.com or look for us on your favorite podcast directory. Information or products referenced in any episode can be found in the show notes associated with that episode. These notes may contain links to our online courses or services. They may also contain links to affiliate sites. Purchases made through these links help support our efforts to produce this podcast.